You're listening to the Financial Literacy Podcast, brought to you by MD Financial Management, Canada's only national financial services firm dedicated to helping physicians and their families with their unique financial needs. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. My name is Tannis Roadhouse, and I'm so excited to be your host today as we dive into the world of debt. More importantly, medical student debt and how to pay it off. Joining us today to share some of her professional advice is Amy King, Early Career Education Specialist. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thanks so much for having me, Tanis. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to talk about this. It's a topic I get to uh, to chat a lot about. Um, so it's really fun to help some of our future physicians and their families listening today to feel better about their debt. Absolutely. Because a lot of people feel uncomfortable when it comes to talking about their finances and debt, even if it's a result of pursuing their passion. Exactly. It's really hard for students nowadays to avoid going into debt, and particularly medical students. So our goal today is to guide you through the different options you have when it comes to managing and then repaying your debt and get you on the right track as early as possible. And with that, let's start talking about some of the differences between the amount of debt that medical students should expect versus other students. That's actually a great place to start uh, because the more prepared you are, the easier it will be to plan for and then the less overwhelmed you'll feel later on in life. So in Canada, with the latest stats we have available, undergrad students with debt typically owed an average of about $28,000. Medical students, on the other hand, it's not uncommon to see debt upwards of $150,000 to $200,000 at the end of med school. And unfortunately, that can continue to climb depending on where and for how long their residency training is. Those are some really big numbers. I know, I know. And I don't want anyone to get discouraged. It does sound overwhelming when you look at those numbers alone, but the good news is that just like how medical student debt is different from regular student debt, so are the options to pay it off. A couple of things to keep in mind right off the bat is that when you get to your residency, you'll be starting to earn an income, finally, while continuing your training. So depending on your borrowing situation and what options are available to you, and also things like your living situation, where everyone's is unique, but If you are a single or dual income household, if you have kids, or even what city you're living in, you may actually be able to allocate some of your salary toward paying down your medical student debt. Even if you start it with small payments, it's helpful to start establishing good habits and keep the interest from growing your debt even more. So I heard you say, depending on your borrowing situation, I assume you mean whether you borrowed using a loan or line of credit. Yeah, exactly. Student loans and lines of credits have different payback terms and schedules, but the biggest difference is how the interest is calculated on your borrowed amounts. So depending on which one you have and when you need to begin paying back your funds and what those payments look like can all vary. So for those listeners who haven't yet started on their med school journey, knowing what these differences are might help them decide what borrowing method they want to go with. So if that's the case, could you take us through how each of these methods work? Yeah, and for our listeners who are at the very beginning of their journey, or parents who might be preparing for their children, understanding the difference between a student loan and a line of credit can help you make your relationship with your debt a little bit better down the road. So let's briefly talk about the borrowing differences. With a student loan, you are given a lump sum of money all at once. You'll have to pay back the entire amount of the loan plus interest, whether you use all the funds or not. 
Unfortunately, with your student loans, you can't actually use them towards your residency expenses because it's no longer considered full-time study. A line of credit might be a better option for you to cover all your expenses at that point in your career. A line of credit is similar to a credit card in that it's revolving, meaning that you are approved for a certain amount of funds and you can use them as you need them. You are only charged interest for the funds you use, and then whatever you pay back actually becomes available for you to use again later. Plus, you can use your line of credit throughout your residency. So once you've completed your training and your repayment grace period has passed, most financial institutions will let you convert your student line of credit to a regular one. Keep in mind, though, that depending on the institution, your fellowship may or may not be included in what's considered your training. So the timing of when you can convert your line of credit might actually vary. But if you don't convert your line of credit, it will most likely be changed to a loan with a regular payment schedule. So it sounds to me like the line of credit offers a little more flexibility and can be used for a longer period of time. Are there any major pros that might make students lean more towards a loan, Amy? Well, there are advantages to both, but generally speaking, most people will actually use a combination of both to fund their education. So when paying for your medical school, you want to use your funding sources in the order that will accrue you the least amount of interest. So once you've used your savings and then any other free money, such as grants and bursaries and scholarships, because you don't need to pay those back, you would then go to your student loans and then your line of credit. The big difference comes down to how the interest is calculated. Despite the interest rates being very similar, your student loans don't actually accrue any interest while you're in medical school. Typically, these loans would go into repayment six months after you complete your full-time studies, and then your interest would start to accrue then. However, since COVID hit, the government has actually put a pause on charging interest on the federal portion of your student loans until March 2023. The provincial loans may differ, and you'll have to confirm with your lending office as some provinces offer to delay interest while you are completing your residency training as well. But once your interest starts accruing on the federal portion of your loan, you are then eligible for a 15% tax credit on the interest. Now, on the other hand, the interest on your line of credit kicks in the moment you withdraw the funds. You'll be charged a monthly interest payment. However, most banks will actually capitalize this payment while you're in medical school, which means it's borrowing from your line of credit to pay the interest. So this is also why your debt will grow more quickly on your line of credit. The nice part is that you have access to your line of credit to borrow throughout your residency training as well. So you can use these funds for anything. And then the grace period on your line of credit can be anywhere from six months up to two years post-training, depending on your bank, before you need to start repaying down the capital. The repayment terms of each will come into effect later, and then you'll be able to weigh the options available to you, including any loan forgiveness programs and then debt consolidation to come up with your own personalized debt repayment plan. So it sounds like each option has some clear advantages. A line of credit, like I mentioned, offers a bit more freedom, but a loan is useful if you don't have a steady cash flow to stay on top of those interest payments. That's a really tough call. It is. And everyone's personal financial situation will also impact this decision. I would say if you're really unsure, talk to a financial advisor and they will be able to analyze not only what will work best for your current circumstances, but what will help you in the long run as well. And MD advisors are especially helpful because they specialize in medical students' circumstances and the impact these circumstances can have on the whole household. Exactly. MD advisors will know all about the special rates and borrowing limits and programs designed specifically for medical students' financial plans. And the plan extends beyond school, beyond residency, and well into your career. It also includes your partner or spouse and how the finances will impact them as well. 
This means that your debt doesn't stop you from enjoying the other important things in your life. Right, because becoming a physician is a long road, and many families will be experiencing and paying for those big life events like getting married and buying a home and starting a family while still training. So staying on top of your debt will help you avoid sacrificing those important moments. And with that being said, let's shift into some of the best strategies for starting to pay down that debt. Absolutely. The advantage for medical students is that there are tons of options available to you to help pay down your debt. It's great to meet with an MD advisor to make sure you're aware of all the debt relief or loan forgiveness programs that are available to you. After you've made sure to take advantage of any of those, when it comes to the debt products, it's important to know that each debt product that you have will have its own monthly minimum debt payment. And you want to make sure you're making all of these payments to avoid any penalties or negatively impacting your credit score. So when you start paying down your debt, whether it's while you're still in training or once your grace period is over, the basic rule of thumb is to pay off your most expensive debt first. And by this, we don't mean your largest balance, but your debts with the highest interest rate. So that's because this is costing you more money the longer it goes unpaid. So this is where you'd want to allocate any extra cash after all of your monthly minimum payments and investment contributions have been made. After that, then you move on to the next highest interest rate and so on. This is actually called the snowball method. Now, what if you don't have the cash flow to be making larger payments on your expensive debts, plus the monthly minimum payments on your loans, plus all your other expenses? Well, those monthly minimum debt payments can definitely add up quick. Your MD advisor will also be able to crunch the numbers to see if consolidating your debts onto your line of credit makes sense, essentially paying off your other debts with your line of credit. Isn't that like robbing Peter to pay Paul? Well, yes and no. You're using borrowed funds to pay off other borrowed funds. But the key difference here is that since the interest rate is so low on your line of credit um, than the rate that's on other things like your credit cards, it's actually more cost effective in the long run. Typically, this is mostly recommended for things like credit card debt. Your low interest student loans may not need to be consolidated so that you can still take advantage of things like the deferred interest and tax credits I mentioned earlier, but it's all about seeing where the math makes sense. So by consolidating your debt onto your line of credit, this can actually free up some cash in your monthly budget by only having one monthly minimum debt payment. This gives you the flexibility to pay down more debt or fund other goals like retirement. Uh, That's really great, Amy. I think a lot of people forget that physicians don't have a pension or retirement fund and have to save up for those things on their own. So the earlier they can get started, the better. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are hesitant to put money aside or start investing while they have large amounts of debt looming over their head. They might think to themselves, why would I put on hold this large amount of savings if I can just put it towards my debt? But Once you start earning an income, deciding to start saving or investing, even while you still have debt, can have quite a few benefits. So whether you decide to open up a TFSA or want to start a small investment portfolio, the earlier you start, the better. The biggest benefit to successful investing is time. So starting early, even with small amounts, will grow your wealth significantly by the time you reach retirement. This also helps you gain experience with the ups and downs of the market. And then it's also a great way to start establishing good saving habits. So even if you're starting with small contributions at first, a good saving strategy is to allocate a portion of every paycheck to your savings or investments. Then as time goes on and your income increases and your debts decrease, you can just increase that amount continuously. 
The main point is that you've gotten into the habit and have built your expenses around that expectation. Those are all really great points. I feel like the main takeaway is to focus on the future. We know that that can be hard for medical students because your studies and your training are stressful and demanding and seeing all that debt grow and grow can feel so overwhelming. But we are here to reassure you that there is nothing wrong with leaving your low interest debt a little bit longer if it allows you to save some funds in preparation for your future. That's exactly right, Tanis. There's this big misconception that any debt at all is bad, and that's just not true. Debt, used effectively, can be a useful tool towards your overall financial plan. So unless your debt is causing you to lie awake at night in a panic, I'd say it's better to have those savings or investments for when you need to put a down payment on a house or in case of emergencies, because you don't want to have to borrow even for those things later on. Right. Now, on the topic of those big life moments and the expenses that come with them, one of those moments that many physicians want to prepare for is starting their practice. What do you think is the best way for those physicians to approach that step while also managing their debt? So just like any business, you need to think about your potential startup costs in comparison to your income. However, this is an inevitable step for physicians. The increase in income you'll see as you begin to practice will definitely help you begin to make significant payments towards that debt. But you'll have to evaluate whether you have enough spare funds to cover the startup costs or whether you feel comfortable borrowing off that line of credit. This is why it's important to leave room on your line of credit and then refresh yourself on its terms and conditions before you finish your residency. You will need your grace period to have enough access to your line of credit to help you navigate any startup costs and even a potential delay of income as you get into your billing cycle rhythm. Then for any self-employed physician, there's the question of whether or not to incorporate. Well, what does incorporate your practice mean? So incorporating your practice means that you have now created a corporation, which is a separate legal entity that now owns your practice and you become a shareholder. The main benefits of incorporating are tax deferrals, which allow you to actually speed up your retirement savings and pay down your business debts more efficiently. By having the money you leave in your corporation be taxed at the small business rate, it gives you more money per dollar to put towards those things. But timing is an important consideration when it comes to incorporation. There are a couple initial setup costs and additional yearly administration expenses, but the main part is making sure that you can actually leave money within your corporation at the end of the year. So in other words, if you don't need every dollar that you are making to pay for your living expenses. Now, it's best to discuss this with your accountant and your MD advisor to know when the timing is right for you and how to work it into your overall financial plan. Ah, that's excellent. Now, before we wrap up today, is there any final advice you have for our listeners in regards to dealing with their debt as physicians? Yes. Just again, don't be ashamed about your debt. And definitely don't let it discourage you from the amazing career path that you've chosen. Have patience, have a plan, and everything will be all right in the end. And of course, don't be afraid to reach out to professionals for advice. Like we said earlier, financial advisors like the ones here at MD are your best friends throughout your journey. They will help you make your plan, change your plan, and change it again as your goals change. But they know your field and they know what can work best for you. And with all that being said, good luck to you all. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amy. It's been a pleasure having you on and getting some inside perspective. And who knows, maybe we can have you on to chat again soon. Thanks, Tanis. This has been fantastic. And a very big thank you to you listeners. 
We hope today's episode has answered some of your questions and eased some of your worries, and we wish you all the best on your physician's journey. Once again, I'm Tanis Roadhouse, and we hope that you will tune in again soon. Bye for now. This has been the Financial Literacy Podcast, brought to you by MD Financial Management. For more information or to speak to an advisor today, visit our website at md.ca. 